So I'm going to begin by just doing a quick survey of the room, if you don't mind. Um, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you have ever worked with um, children, teenagers, in a youth worker capacity, kids worker, a teacher, you know, worked in education, um, you've worked, you know, you've had an official position, you've done something with kids, you've arranged activities, you've done it in church, outside of church, so just raise your hand, let's just see roughly how many people have worked with kids, youth, now if you haven't got your hand up, everyone keep your hand up just for now, if you haven't got your hand up but you have a child, you have a kid, just put your hand up again, just so we can just fill the room, so I'm talking probably to about 80% of the room, um, at least, I would say, you can put your hands down, I'll let you. Um, you'll get this, I think. Um, you've been in a situation where you're, you know, you're doing a game, an activity, something with a child. And you realise quite quickly or quite early on that that game, that activity, those rules, those regulations, that system isn't working. Either the child isn't enjoying it or they're starting to hurt each other. You know, somebody is at risk of being um, in danger. So you make a decision on the spot to change the game. You adjust the rules, you adjust the apparatus, you adjust the, um, the parameters in place, and you hopefully make a more enjoyable, more safer um, environment for that child. Um, I had a year working in a primary school. Um, it was great. I was in key stage one, so I was working with four to eight-year-olds, half my size, if not a third of my size. Um, I was giant in the classroom. But one of the things that I did, and I really consider this a privilege, I got 15 minutes, 10 minutes out of the classroom every day to go to the yard, to go to the storeroom and pull out all of the toys for playtime. So that would involve trikes, bikes, space hoppers, hoops, bean bags, you name it. The, the school was very blessed with resources, I will add. But we had a lot of um, equipment. So I, I, you know, like 10 minutes away just to myself, just to lay it all out, you know, I'd lay out the skipping ropes and get it all symmetrical, put the hoops in the right place every single day, the football over here, you'd mark out a football pitch with the cones, you'd get it all right, and then the the, well, there was no bell, but the equivalent of the bell would go, and these little monsters would run out en masse and just go crazy. It was as if it was World War Three. Hoops were getting flung over there. Beanbags were getting thrown in people's faces. Footballs were kicked over the fence. Children were trying to climb under the fence to get the football. It was crazy. Unfortunately, with the, you know, the children didn't realise how blessed they were. But at times, children, you know, with a plastic cricket bat or whatever that might be. Not, they see it as not just a cricket bat, that's a sword, that's a gun. That is just, if you didn't like the child at break time, you just hit them. So as a member of staff, we had to change the game. As the week would go on progressively, less and less toys would go out. Until on Friday, after every child had just annoyed you so much, there was nothing. So children had to just play patter cake or whatever, or just entertain themselves. They didn't have a tablet or anything. I got a child in trouble, actually. Because um, I was on duty at lunch, um, and there was this little area in the school playground where children could go around on trikes and bikes. Really, really cool. There was one such trike that had a little seat in the back, so you could have a child peddling and a little child at the back. Now, parents are probably thinking there's danger there immediately, because children would go too fast, kids would fall out, health and safety. We had problems, but I thought, you know, kids need to learn these sort of hard knocks from an early age. So I was, get, let's get stuck in. Let's push them along. Now, at this point, my main job normally was to man the football. Now, kids are that age. They don't play football. They prefer rugby or throwing things. But anyway, I was manning the football. And the teacher who was, who was a, one of the senior teachers over here 
was saying, um, Ben, I've got to go to a meeting. Will you just come and look after the, the kids' trikes? So there I was, getting involved, pushing them along, having a great well of a time. Now, the teacher came back. We changed positions. Now, I went back into the classroom. Now, three, two children were stood at the front of the classroom in trouble. And I thought, oh, why are they in trouble? Why are they? So I later on asked, you know, what, what, are they, what are those children done? And the teacher said, we had two children on a trike all at once. And I told them not to. Now, what she hadn't done was pass the message on to her colleague, a.k.a. me, to let me know that the game had changed. No longer were children allowed to to bikes. I was encouraging them. So it was me. Now, I had to own up and confess to that teacher and say, actually, it was me that said they could do that. I did own up a week later. But anyway... <laughs> Change the game was a phrase that Paul used two years ago, <laughs> and we used throughout 2016 um, in terms of discipleship. Now, Jesus changed the game of how it, what it was to be a man or woman of God. He changed the game. It no longer was it about the law. No longer was it about sacrificing animals. No longer was it about religious and, and rituals and, and, and all of that stuff. He changed the game. Thank God he did. <laughs> um. He changed, you know, things like the Ten Commandments said, do not murder. Well, Jesus changed the game. He said, well, if you just look at, you know, look at someone with anger, you will be judged. So he's, he's talking, you know, he's changing the game, changing the, the, um, the, the situation we had before us. He said, love your neighbor and love your enemy. No longer was it an eye for eye. If somebody hurts, if someone punches you, you punch them back. Jesus said, love your enemy. It wasn't about worshipping in the temple anymore and going to the temple. It was about the temple is in you. I am in you. The game had changed in terms of what it was to be a follower of Jesus. Now, the scripture that Paul used in, uh, throughout the year of 2016 was the Luke 7 passage, the faith of the centurion. So a man, well, a Roman soldier. What was unique and bizarre, not bizarre, but what was magnificent about this story was this soldier had compassion on a lowly servant. That was the first thing that was just remarkable about the story, that he would go out of his way to send his people to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've got a sick servant. Would you come and just heal my servant? That was unique and just remarkable in itself, let alone by the fact that he was not a Jew. He wasn't one of the people of God. He wasn't, um, you know, a grade A Christian. He wasn't the holy man. He was a soldier. He was almost an enemy of Jesus, Jesus' people. He was an enemy of the Israelites. He was, because Rome had taken over Israel. So again, that was remarkable, changing the game. Who is it, who is it that become, can come to God? Who is it that can be a Christian? Who can be a follower of Jesus? The door open to anyone. The game had changed. No longer did you need to meet a certain criteria and be a certain birth, you know, you come from birth heritage. You Anyone could come to him. And the most remarkable thing about the story was his faith. He said, Jesus, don't even come to my house. I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. And that is exactly what happened. And Jesus was amazed. You may remember Paul's message on Vision Sunday. He marveled. The word translation, amazed into marvel. It just marvelous just unbelievable just Jesus was so taken aback in this situation 
No longer is it just the religious who can get to God, but the unschooled, the irreligious, the, the sinner, you and me, can now get to God. Because his love and his forgiveness is for everyone. And based on that story, all you need is faith. And it is faith that changes the game. So another feature of 2016 was this phrase that Sarah mentioned, building bridges. And I'm going to try and attempt in this message to sort of link the two if I can. Forgive me if I don't get it quite perfect, but I'm going to try and link the two. Because building bridges is an, is an important thing. Now, as a church, we have built bridges. Sarah talked about youth and, and Ignite. We're building bridges with our community. We've got community coming in to things like the fun days that we do. We have got Shine Like Stars happening. We have got Christmas events where children come in. They bring their families. We're building bridges. It's not about the church and the four walls and the Christians and us being perfect, holy, wonderful people as you all are. We are, as a church, committed to building a bridge so that somebody who felt one day church was an obstacle, they couldn't get through the car park because they just didn't feel holy enough. If we can just help build a bridge so that somebody has a connection, they have a relationship, they have a touch from a Christian, it makes it a whole lot easier for them to enter into Jesus' presence. And this man, this centurion, amazingly built a synagogue for the Jews. He almost for the enemy camp, almost for the, the outsiders or the insiders, the, the, the opposing group to his um, society. He built them a synagogue, used his own money and his own time and his own labor to build them a synagogue. If that's not building a bridge, I don't know what you can do to build a bridge. <laughs> but also his faith built a bridge for his servant. So his faith, and even from a distance, you know, I don't know how geographically how far away Jesus was from his servant who was healed but his faith was enough to build a bridge from Jesus to the sick servant there was a bridge a metaphorical supernatural spiritual bridge and also there was a bridge to his whole family because he and his household were saved there was a bridge there as well now a bridge is a structure if you think about an actual bridge just think for a moment physically a bridge is a structure that gets you from point a to point B. Now, the reason there is a bridge there is normally because there is an obstacle. A river, a stream, a mountain. Um, those sort of things. I was trying to think of other things. <laughs> but also, you know, you can be a bridge for your family. You can be a bridge for your neighbor. You can be a bridge that connects somebody to church, that connects somebody to kindness, that connects somebody to the love of Christ because they're not reading the Bible or listening to worship tracks at home. They need you to tell them and to build a bridge for them. So I've got a couple more stories. I'm not really going to focus on the Luke 7 centurion story. I've got a couple more for you from the New Testament. Now, um, we're going to start today from Mark 2. And we're going to look at sort of verses from 1 to 12, but skip a few out. In the middle... But looking at building bridges, it says this in Mark 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, by the way, same location as the centurion was. Several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. 
I'll just let you digest that. There's no more, there's no more room. Full house, jam-packed. <clears throat> While he was preaching God's word to them, four men avo- arrived, carried, I was like, avoided? No, my eyes. Arrived, <laughs> car- that would change the story, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Keyword, seeing their faith. Faith is visible. It's not just an emotion or a belief. It's visible. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the, the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. We'll skip a few verses and jump in at verse 10. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. So in a moment, I'm going to read another scripture, but let's let you digest that. And if you missed it, I'm going to help revise. We're going to go over it. Um, with a nice handy little table that Baz is going to flash up for us. Just a few key points, just a few key words for you to think about. If you miss what I just read, you get your chance to recap here. So starting off with Capernaum, just an interesting thing. It was the same location as the Centurion. Next thing, there's an obstacle. The room is too full. So, you know, it's not a river. It's not a mountain. It's a a room that is too full. Um, interesting, the third thing is there are some inactive people there. Now, you may have not quite picked up on that, but there were some religious people in that crowded room sat there just being inactive and just observing and making judgment about all the other people in the room. So often when, there's a, you know, often when God's doing a miracle, there's sometimes people there just being inactive and judgmental. There's also four men who had visible faith. Fifth. They built a bridge for Jesus. So they built this effective, you know, metaphorical bridge. Now, there wasn't, you know, a river to cross, but they, he had to get from point A to point B. There was an obstacle. They couldn't get through the door. So they built a bridge and went through the roof. Make sense? Um, he also said an interesting phrase, um, your sins are forgiven, which look out for this phrase or similar phrases in the next passage I'm about to read. He also offended the religious and the final phrase, which is similar to the, the next passage I'm going to read, he says this, pick up your mat and go home. So it requires an action. It's not just a belief. I have faith inside my heart, therefore I believe. I have to do something and follow an instruction and be obedient. So Jesus was a bridge builder. He changed the game how people came to God. It was no longer about going to the temple and making a sacrifice. You could go direct to him. He was in you. He built bridges between God and humanity. That's why he came. He came to build a bridge because we could not cross the chasm of sin. So he built the bridge so that we could cross over through. We sang about the blood of Jesus. It's a strange thing to sing in some ways, the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But without that blood, we would not have no bridge to get from sin and death to life in all its fullness. So that's why we sing about the blood of Jesus, if you ever wondered. It's, it, it's that. That is the magic ingredient. That is not the magic, but that is the thing that makes it possible for us to go from sin to life. He built a bridge. 
He came to fulfill the law, the old covenant. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So we as children, we're like, how do I get to my Father all the way over there? There's, there's a chasm, there's, there's a blockage, there's a, I cannot get to my Father, even though I know I want to, even though I know I need to, but I can't get there. There's no other way other than through Jesus. He's a bridge builder. In fact, he is the bridge. <laughs> um, however, interestingly enough, and I mentioned those inactive people sitting there observing There's some Pharisees or religious people out there that would still put obstacles in the way so that people, even though Jesus has come to change the game, people would still put obstacles in people's way. It could be, well, you can't do that because it's against the law. You can't do that because um, it's it's on the Sabbath. You can't do that because it makes you unclean. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. They put obstacles in. In place, And they even took them to the extreme. So one example is you can't carry goods on the Sabbath. Makes sense because people weren't working on the Sabbath. So don't, ca- don't be a merchant and carry goods. But they adapted and evolved that to don't carry anything, including a mat on the Sabbath. They, they took the, their religiousness to the extreme and that provided an obstacle. So we're going to move on to this next story because I did promise it. <laughs> Um, um, This is my message, really. I've I've got a couple of points at the end, but I'm just drawing comparisons between two stories. One story where there was an obvious bridge in place. There was an obstacle. He couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. So four people with faith. They had visible faith. It was obvious that they were men of faith. They picked him up, dug a hole, and dropped him down through the roof. They created a bridge when there was no bridge there. Next story. See what you think in this next one. John 5. See if you can see where I'm going with this. John 5, and we'll start with verse 1. We'll read a couple of verses, and I'll make some comparisons between the two passages. Because in some ways, I've chosen these passages at complete random. (laughs) I just felt they both came to my mind and heart at the time of preparing. There's no obvious link, but I've found a few. So let's read. John 5, verse 1. Afterward... Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. So if we can just get that comparison grid up, Baz, thank you. So John 5 over here, just incidentally, the the previous one was Capernaum. This one's Jerusalem, just in case you, you wanted to know. I haven't really got much more to say on that, but Jerusalem is the location. <laughs> I don't really know why I put that there. I think I, anyway. Um, <laughs> but there was crowds of people, the next thing. So similar situation. There's too many people, too many invalids, too many people in the way. This person, is, there's, there's lots of people there. And then thirdly, there's a lot of in, inactive people there. There's people who are sick, just sat there. Not quite the same as the Pharisee or the religious person who was sat there observing and making judgment, but similar. There's some inactivity going on as well. There's people sat there. So interestingly, the reason I've stopped there as well is because verse 4, that was 1 to 3, verse 4 isn't actually in your modern translation of your Bible. You may, if you've got your Bible in front of you, you might be thinking, where's it gone? It could be in the footnotes. If you've got... um, uh, if you've got an old manuscript, it might be on there, you know, an ancient manuscript, it could be on there. But the earliest manuscripts didn't have this verse in. Now, somebody at some point has added this in to make this whole scenario make a little bit more sense to um, idiots like me. <laughs> I'm like, why are people sat there? 
Let's find out. It says in verse 4, an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after, water was, after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. So they were waiting for something. That's why they're sat there and being inactive. They were waiting for a move of God. They were waiting for a touch. They were waiting for a healing. It makes sense a little bit more now. So Bethesda was a pool, let me get this right, which was used to provide water for the temple. So it's an actual inactive pool. It was useful, a reservoir, provided water for the temple, interestingly enough. And the word Bethesda means house of mercy. So it's a little bit like, and I've been in one this, this week visiting my nan. It's a little bit like a hospital. There's, there's sick people there. There's, there's people being merciful and kind and nice and looking after people. It's... An ancient version of a hospital, I guess. Now, I've been in hospital, um, as I say, and visiting. And now, what's interesting is imagine the NHS said, okay, we've got 100 patients over here, but we've only got enough medicine for one of them. So let's hatch a plan. What we're going to do every now and then, we're not going to tell anyone when that's going to happen, but every now and then a buzzer will go off, a light will flash, and all the patients will surge to an unnamed place and pick up the medicine, and the first person there would get their medicine. The others would have to wait and see. Now, I'm not making any political statements. I think the NHS is a fabulous thing, but it is under resourced. <laughs> But fortunately, we're not quite as bad as that. But imagine our hope, imagine our cure, our healing was based on just, fingers crossed, hopefully, if I'm the first person to dip into that pool, I will get healed. However, if I'm slower than that person, I'm not going to be healed any time soon. Where's the hope? House of mercy, where's the mercy? I don't know. Now, again, I can't verify whether or not this myth or this legend or this whether it actually happened, I'm not going to stand here and say I've looked into it, I've seen it happen, it's happened, it could have happened, but it's inconsistent with the God that I know. If God made healing like that, where it was this lottery of you, whenever the water fizzes up, jump in, you'll get healed. I don't know if that makes me feel comfortable when I think about God. It could have happened, but something must have happened for people to believe it to be happening. So I'm not denying it either, the, the situation. Potentially, it was because of the link with the temple, the water supply for the temple. Maybe there's a link there, refreshing and, and so on and so forth. But I just don't know, and I'm not going to uh, labor the point any further. But anyway, we're gonna, we'll move on because we've got this pool. We've got this situation. A man needs a bridge. Is there anyone to be a bridge for him? Let's find out. John 5, we'll move on into verse 5. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? It sounds an obvious question, but the answer is not obvious. I can't. I can't, sir. The sick man said. Well, I guess in some ways it's, it's true. He's been there 38 years. He, he can't. He can't get up. The sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else gets there ahead of me. So if we go back to that table, Baz, there's no faith. He's got no faith. He's not a believer. He's not been praying and interceding and anointing himself with oil. He's not been going to prayer meetings and believing that for his healing. He, for 38 years, has been inactive by a pool waiting for something that might not happen. He had no faith. Can you believe the goodness and the kindness of our God? That even a man who didn't have any faith, didn't even believe in Jesus, he is about to heal him. 
And the fourth thing is there's no bridge. There's no one to build a bridge from this man to Jesus. He's got no one to lift him up and put him in the pool. He's got, if only he had about those four guys, those four mates, to load him on a stretcher and chuck him in the pool. <laughs> I don't know if it would have worked. But anyway, the, their hearts would have, been, would have been in the right place. Sometimes we just need someone to do something for us. Let's read on before I talk myself into something else. <laughs> Verse 8. I'll finish the story and then we can all go, go home. But I do believe, as I say, there's going to be some opportunity to respond. <laughs> Verse 8. Jesus told him, here's a phrase you've heard before, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping, ba- his sleeping mat or sleeping bag <laughs> and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. Remember what I was saying about how you adapt rules and laws and it it just was an obstacle? The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. So of course he did. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know. Didn't ask his name. But Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. Crowd again. Um, But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well. Stop sinning. Sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. Just added a bit there. But it says there, stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. I mean, what could be even worse than 38 years of waiting for a healing and not getting anything? There is something worse. There's an eternity without Jesus. There's, there's not being in a relationship with Jesus for eternity. That's worse. Then the man went and told. It's like he dubbed them in. He, he, dubbed, he set Jesus up for a... Then the man went out and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who healed him, which... Incidentally, changing the game. This is a point in time in history in the Bible that changed the game. No longer were healings received with, woohoo, someone's been healed. From now on, healing and miracles were greeted by people with joy and objection. People were now thinking, who is this Jesus? In a good way and a bad way. So, again, coming back to my comparison... 12 minutes <laughs> stop sinning is a, is a key phrase again in this same passage he offended the religious the next one baz and then finally it says a similar phrase pick up your mat and walk so we've got some similarities and the reason i wanted to compare the two is because one there's an obvious bridge involved there's people being a bridge for somebody but in the second story there was no bridge there was no way of getting across the obstacle of getting through the crowd and getting your healing so Hopefully you follow me on that logic. And we're now at the point where I can actually preach for five minutes. <laughs> so the f- few things, and again, I've got two things really simply to take away. Two things for you to think, okay, Ben babbled on for 20 minutes. Now I'm going to receive something. <laughs> and the, f- the first thing is this. We can all be a bridge for others. If only those four friends had been there for the one at the pool. He, needs, he, needs, he needed someone not to carry him into the pool. If only he had four friends to carry him to Jesus, and the story would have been entirely different. So thinking about you and me right now. 
what can you do to be a bridge for somebody else? There's a few things, and I haven't got time to go into all of them. I didn't have time to think of all of them, but here are my suggestions. Um, the first one is obvious based on what we've just read. is to have compassion for those in need. As I say, I've been visiting my nan in hospital, but I was addressed by all these other needs around me. Somebody needs the door holding. The nurse is too busy to feed. There's lots of people. There's, there's, there's people who are sick. There's people who are, who've got children who are sick. There are people who are nearer death than my situation. There's just need everywhere. And you sort of, whoa. And I don't know if it did anything other than just have compassion at first. It's just a reaction. It was a response. But if that can, compassion can lead to some action, then we're getting somewhere in terms of building bridge. And kindness is one of our core values. Kindness. Kindness builds a bridge, perhaps more than any other. If you can go out of your way. Now, Jesus was a very clever person. He knew everything. He knew there was a man at this pool who'd been there for 38 years. He knew that. It was out of his way. It was off track. It was off the beaten track. He went to this place deliberately to heal him. Maybe we could have that same mindset. Let's go out of our way, change our plans, scrap our own personal agenda, and go after people's needs. If we can do that, if we can show kindness by going out of our way, I think we can build a bridge so people can get to Jesus. We can serve those at work. Just serve. Just help them. Make them look the best employee of the month. You can serve them by making their job look easier because you are helping them do the things that aren't even on your job description. If you're serving them, again, I'm not saying burnout, but you can do things to make life easier. That's what serving is. You make life easier for other people. If you can do that in work, home, church, wherever, you're building a bridge. Love your neighbor and, as Jesus said, and your enemy. Pray for people. There's a bridge, a less glamorous, exciting bridge. You know, the bridge, it's not a suspension bridge. It's not like a massive tower bridge or whatever. This is a, this is a, a rickety, rock, wooden, shaky bridge. This is the kind of bridge that people don't want to go on. It's the prayer bridge. It's the bridge that nobody sees behind the scenes. It's the bridge that nobody thanks you for at the end of the day when you've been praying for them. Prayer is a bridge so that people can get to Jesus. And if you can pray for somebody, you are a bridge builder for them. Have faith when they don't. What's amazing about that first story is four men had faith. The guy in the stretcher, I don't know what his situation was. Did he have faith? I don't know. But Jesus saw their faith. They had faith for the healing of their friend. So put that into the situation of prayer. If you, have, if you have faith for the healing or the breakthrough or the situation of your friend and Jesus sees it, anything can happen. You're building a bridge by just having faith for someone, interceding on their behalf, standing in the gap, bridging the gap for somebody so that they can receive a blessing from God. Carry them through tough times. It's building a bridge that... Our mandate as a church and as a, as a Christian is to go and make disciples. If we don't go, we won't make disciples. If we don't leave comfort zone and leave church and leave religion, if we don't go and find people, we won't make disciples. So part of building bridges is to go. If we go, we'll build a bridge. And as a church, there are things like youth and kids serve join get join join in with what they're doing togs 
a ministry that clothes children in our city. Cafe kids on a Tuesday and Wednesday, serving the mums and the fathers and the, the carers of children in this community. Our fun days and Christmas events, all of that as a church is all about building bridges. Somebody might not want to come and hear me preach. You probably don't want to come and hear me preach. <laughs> Maybe you do. But uh, Steph does. But they might come if you're offering them free food. They might come if you're offering an event or an activity. You might come if you simply love them. But they probably won't come for my preaching. And I'm not even putting myself down. Does that make sense? Building a bridge, is, that's how we do it as a church. So we can all be a bridge for others. And I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right for time because I've only got one other point. So nice and easy message today. I've just wanted you to see what it was like when there was no bridge and what it was like when there was a bridge. But now, hopefully you understand that you can be a bridge. But here we get a little bit more personal. The second thing is we all need a bridge. The second thing. We all need a bridge. Now what's... Even though Jesus has changed the game, you know, no longer is it about having to work hard and sacrifice animals and, and just the, do the impossible to get to God. Even though Jesus has come and, cha- and he's, he's healing people and he's making life easier for people, that doesn't mean there's no obstacles. That doesn't mean life doesn't throw some curveballs at us. That doesn't mean that we don't have stuff to deal with and, tr- and, and difficult situations. That doesn't mean that life is easy. In fact, it's not Because Jesus promised it. It, it, That's how it is as a Christian. It doesn't get easy. So we all need a bridge. The bigger obstacle in this issue, in in these two stories, wasn't the crowded room. It wasn't the crowded poolside. The biggest obstacle in these two stories, and your story and mine, is their sin. That is the biggest obstacle obstacle. I could never bridge the gap between my wrongdoing and salvation. I needed Jesus to bridge that for me. The bigger miracle in this situation was not their physical healings. It was actually their spiritual healings, particularly of the, you know, going back to the centurion. What was a bigger miracle, more so than the healing of his servant, was his healing internally, his salvation, his spirituality. That was the bigger miracle. That is where we all need a bridge. And no one can bridge the gap of sin except for your, here's a key word again, which I said right at the beginning, is faith in Jesus. It is faith that pleases God. Now, as I said again a few times, faith requires movement. It's not just a nice little emotion that you have in your heart and think, I have faith in Jesus. Faith is, it requires movement. It requires picking up your mat. It requires digging a hole through a roof. It requires doing something. And also it requires listening to and believing the word that Jesus said. Just say the word from where you are. Just say the word, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. That is what faith is. It's believing unswervingly in the word of God. It's believing without doubt that Jesus is going to come through in your situation. It's, sometimes it needs you to move, but also it needs you to listen. That's what faith is. So we all need a bridge. And I thank Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I thank Jesus that in my darkest day, on my worst day, He still chose to love me. In my 
deepest and darkest of sin, he still chose to love me and still chose to go to the cross. And if you think about the image of a cross, it very much looks like a bridge. You've probably seen it, um, you know, illustrated. There's a, a cliffside over here. There's a cliffside over here. There's a gap in the middle. That's my sin and my muck and everything that I've done wrong. And how do I get from point A to point B? The bridge is the cross. It's at the cross that we receive the healing. It's at the cross that we receive salvation, that we receive life, that we receive breakthrough. It's at the cross that anything can happen. And I'm concluding, and I'm going to read a scripture. And then, as I say, I think we should respond during that song. I just feel it. If nothing happens, then it was just me. (laughs) And I can enjoy responding. But I'm going to read a scripture which just cements this all together and gives you some encouragement. And I'm going to ask... Potentially, some people in the room, you're like that guy, you don't have, well, potentially both guys, both healed people in the story. You don't even know Jesus. You wouldn't even call yourself a Christian. Or maybe you did one day, but you've walked away and you kind of, am I a Christian? Do I believe in Jesus? You're in that situation. And maybe some of the, the words that I've been saying have just turned a light on or clicked a switch or something in you. And I would encourage you, to respond in a moment when I'm going to ask you to respond. Um, And we can pray for you. Some of our welcome team can pray for you. I can even pray for you. Um, Or maybe it's just going to happen here and now between you and God. But let's read this scripture. This is lovely. This is good, good news. Thinking about bridges. It says in Romans 8, 38, I am convinced... that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that that is revealed in Christ Jesus there's no power there's no death There's no crowded room, no mythological story. There is no restriction upon you reaching and walking across the bridge and receiving God's love. Should we get to our feet? And let's pray. And I invite the band up. Thank you. And we're going to start this song. It's the new song about the way. He is the truth. Here's the life. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to invite people to come forward. I'm not really going to do anything other than that. I haven't thought that far ahead. (laughs) But during the song, all I'm going to do is ask that you to come. Now, there's probably obstacles in your way between now and then. You're probably thinking, well, what's my friend going to think? Or what's, do I really need Jesus right now? Am I as bad as the, the, the poor paralyzed man? Do I, you've got obstacles, thoughts, 
how you feel about people. I just think there's power in your movement. That's all. I'm probably not going to pray for you. I'm probably not going to lay a hand on you. I'm probably not going to do anything. I'm just asking you to respond. And if everyone in the room comes to the front, then we'll do church jam-packed. But we're going to sing a song and I'm going to pray and I'm going to thank God for what he's doing right now. Lord Jesus, we're just grateful to be in your church. God, there is nowhere else we'd rather be right now than in your presence. And Lord God, I pray, God, for those who need right now.